Welcome to Forging the Norsatch, a podcast for entrepreneurs, startups, small business owners, and the supporters of the Northern Utah entrepreneurial ecosystem, presenting an interesting topic of the day and an enlightening interview with a new company or organization that supports business in the Norsatch, presented by the Economic Development Office of Weber State University. Welcome to Forging the Norsatch. This is Guy Tender, episode number 28, October 2021. Both of our co-hosts will be joining us on this episode. James Taylor of Weber State's Office of Technology Commercialization will be joining me with a great conversation with Sylvia Castro of the Suazo Center. However, before that, we will answer an email question with our other co-host, Angie Oskthorpe, the president of the Davis Chamber of Commerce. We do have a question from our audience. What should be in the subject line of an email? Well, to answer that question, Angie and I brought in business communications expert, Mikkel Weil from Weber State University Sales Department. You may also recall Mikkel Weil was featured on episode number six. So if you look at our episodes, maybe go back and look at episode number six with Mikkel Weil. For your question to be on our show or suggestions of other guests to be on our show, please email questions to Norsatch at weber.edu, or recently we posted on Facebook a call for questions and suggestions. So please email your questions, norsatch, N-O-R-S-A-T-C-H, at weber.edu. Now, let's get um, to learn more about email communications with Mikkel Weil. As promised, folks, today we get Mikkel Weil to join us today to talk about uh, business communications and, and specifically good emails. How do we write good emails? As many of you may recall, we had Mikkel on episode number six when she came and joined us to talk about the Scale School and Sales Program at Weber State. Mikkel is a faculty member with Allen E. Hall Center for Excellence and is a first-year doctoral student at Pepperdine University. So. She's got a lot going on, and yes, we are honored with her presence today, with her busy schedule, and hopefully we'll uh, make good use of her time. Welcome to our show, Mikkel. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back with you all and happy to talk about something that seems pretty pretty obvious, but actually is not. So I'm happy to chat about what it's, a, it's just like one tiny component of what I teach. So I teach uh, in the Department of Professional Sales and the Allen Hall Center for Sales Excellence, but I teach business communications, three sections that is considered a gen ed for several colleges. Uh, the business school students have to take business communications, the sales students, all of the engineering, applied science and computer science students have to take BizCom. And business communications basically is what teaches you how to work. If I were to say in three words, it teaches you how to work. Mikkel, it's awesome having you here. It's it's nice having a friend on uh, the podcast. Not that we're not, you know, all of us friends, but special. We go way back and it's awesome to have you here and to experience the whole doctorate thing as you're going through it. You are just a a rock star. So we're glad to have you. So I always tell this to the, to the people that I talk to that communications rep, you are represented by the way you communicate. And so this is kind of something near and dear to my heart. So what would you say, um, and, and maybe you already answered, but what would you say business communications is and how do you teach students to engage 
in the business community successfully? Yeah, so it's something that I'm actually really passionate about as well. And the students, when they come to class, like, what, what is this all about? There's two, two strands or two tiers that, that we focus on. One is the, the hard side of communication, which would be the technical side, which is how to write an email, how to create um, interesting reports, how to take data sets and to put that to a meaningful graph how to create you know, the visuals that go along with that. So those are all the technical pieces. And then the other strand is the soft skills, which I like to call the human skills. So you know, how to communicate, how to work in teams, how to collaborate, how to be a problem solver, how to anticipate needs, the, the behavior behind communication. So we, we focus on those two things. That's awesome. So. I am kind of an old school who like when I text, I still use grammar, correct grammar and punctuation and all of that. Because once again, I think that that communication represents us. But so give us like your top five, like those technical skills, top five email etiquette. Okay. Are we ready? So just a little background that um, current stats say that the average business person receives about 76 emails a day, average. And then the average business person sends off about 33 emails a day. And that again is average and consider someone that's on the higher end of that, that's you know double that. So how much we actually engage in email is amazing. So it is very, uh, it, it's, it's really proper to talk about, like this is timely to always talk about email etiquette. So first and foremost, my first tip would be, is, the, is email the right channel for communication? So is it the right channel? If you have to communicate, should you communicate face-to-face? -face? Should you communicate via a phone call? Um, should it be a text? Should it be a messaging, you know, type like Slack or something like that? Or is email the proper channel? So consider, consider it the right channel. The history of email, why email was even in, invented in the first place was to fast track our communication. And so we have to consider it's supposed to be all about efficiency and ease of reading. So consider the channel, is email the right way to communicate? That would be tip number one. Tip number two would be the subject line. So do we ever really consider the subject line? And yes, we have to talk about it. It's not something that is, just a known a known thing subject line etiquette is hugely important so typically a subject line should be descriptive it should be compelling it should be five to ten words no more no less and as we all know when we wake up in the day and we're scrolling our you know computer or 80 percent of how we interact with interact with email is through our mobile device we don't scroll and answer the first email that comes to the top of the list. We scroll to what's compelling and what the subject line has indicated. So subject line consideration is so important. And then there's actual grammar etiquette in subject line. We need to make sure that it's like a title to a book or a chapter. You need to capitalize every prominent word in your subject line. So subject line is the second one. Am I, am I are you guys following me? Am I good? You're your girl after my own heart. <laughs> all caps, all caps, Mikkel. All caps. There you go. <laughs> all important words and capitalization. Okay, tip number three. Then we're moving on to your greeting, making sure that you have an appropriate greeting that set the tone for, for that actual email and making sure that you're not too casual or too formal. 
and that it's appropriate and that you go right to the message. Uh, sometimes, you know, again, going back to the whole reasoning why email was invented, efficiency. So sometimes people get lost in, in their own thoughts and, and they're, they're writing for themselves and not writing for their audience. So consider your audience in your greeting, consider your audience in your message development. So number three, making sure that greeting is appropriate. Number four, you go right into that message formation, getting right to the point is really important. And then also getting to the point, but being able to wordsmith in a way that you can cultivate goodwill. I teach this thing that we call it negative neutrality. Tone is huge and so important when you are messaging in that one dimension letter writing email. Tone is important. If you are writing in a positive tone, it reads and comes across as neutral. If you're writing in a neutral tone, it actually comes across negative. And if you're writing in a negative tone, it comes off as just plain ridiculous and awful. So, <laughs> so you got to think about that tone because you're not there to backfill. The other thing to think about with your message formation is email is permanent. So every word that you type and sit and hit send, it is there forever. So before you hit send and before, as you're creating your message, know that this is a permanent document. So really consider every single word and that you're, you're putting in your email. And then lastly, I would talk about the signature block. A signature block is also really important to consider because you need to make sure that you have enough detail in your signature block. How many times have you gone to an appointment and you don't know exactly what room number that uh, person is that you're going to meet and you think, oh, maybe it's in my signature, maybe it was in their email signature block and you go and look in their email signature block and they didn't put their office number. So now you're late for the meeting and you're just like, wait a minute. So put every detail of your contact information in your signature block and also uh, quotes. Everyone has a quote that they feel like they have to share. And I talk to my students about maybe not putting a quote in your signature block. This is a professional email. You could put a quote for your, per your personal email, but the only thing that should be in your professional business email, maybe it could be the value statement of your company or something that's indicative of your company, but not, not necessarily a quote. Um, so no, no quotes. Uh, so yeah, those are my five quick tips on email etiquette. Any, anything else that you can think of that maybe I perhaps missed? Well, Mikkel, I love all of those tips. Uh, first of all, when you're trying to get a hold of somebody and you go back and they don't have their cell phone number or a number that even more so than the address is like, how do I get a hold of this person? You know, so I really like that. And I like that it is um, succinct. Here's my question. I need to take your class because I get across my positivity with exclamation points and smiley faces. And I probably could be a little bit more professional. So how do you get across positivity without like, you know, emojis? Well, it's, it's actually then really thinking, thinking concise, but thinking about your word choice. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. You tone it down on the exclamation points and the smiley <laughs> emojis. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So it, it is, you can, you can come across with positive tone without, without using, and, and maybe we've used that as a crutch that we can't be more yes. creative with our word choices and using, um, you know, using yeah. our, our vocabulary to create a positive environment in your email. The other thing I just wanted to also mention, uh, 
a couple of other just last quick tips reply all do not reply all uh hardly ever do you ever 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 need to reply all so make sure when you are replying to a group email that it's not all that it's just maybe to the original sender and then also response time is also a consideration uh, long ago we would think oh we can respond to an email within a few days or whatnot now really response time is within 24 hours if you know that you are you, you don't respond at night or you're not going to respond to email over the weekend or you're going to be out of town or at a conference or something the proper thing to do is to set a, a auto response that you are out of town just so that people aren't thinking that you're not being responsive because again at the end of the day email proper email communication is all about our professionalism and how we communicate and so it's important to be responsive we did a study uh when i worked at autoleave we did a study on customer satisfaction and we asked the customers in a certain way what was more important being told something was late going to be late before it was late or being on time and the customers valued more being told something was going to be late before it was late then they valued it being on time. And so, you know, even as a quick note, hey, I got your note, I can't respond today. If it, even if it's not an auto reply, I think that goes a long way. Mikhail, I don't know how, hopefully we were efficient with your time today with the podcast. Uh, gosh, so much wisdom in such a short time. Angie, do you have any more comments or questions for Mikhail? No, I just like that response in 24 hours, although I don't always do it. I kind of sometimes have to triage, but I know that some people before were saying, oh, I don't respond to anybody. If it's really important, they'll call me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my, my job is, re is dependent on, that's what my job is, is to respond and to make, you know, uh, partnerships and re relationships. So I, I appreciate that. Although that 24 hours, sometimes when you get 76 new ones or plus is a, li a little difficult, but I do appreciate that. Well, that's the whole point, though, too, is that we can have an entire discussion on email management and, e and how to archive email and how you know, if you aren't responding within 24 hours, the likelihood of that email getting lost in the ether, it, you know, it grows. So, you know, we all figure out our own cadence and our own relationship with email. But my my point in teaching students about it is that it is a very important mode of communication and it should be considered with this etiquette in mind because it does reflect on your own um, professionalism so it's it's a it's an important topic and, wow. and a way to build trust as well so thanks so much Mikhail. it's awesome yeah, thank you and uh thanks Mikhail. we're going to get you on our show again well thanks to Mikhail and angie for that great learning on emails and how to write their good emails and how to communicate through emails and next, we're going to meet with Sylvia Castro and James Taylor to learn more about the Suazo Center. Hey, James, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. And so, James, we worked really hard together to bring the Suazo Center up to Ogden to partner with the Wildcat Microfund. And, and so today we get to interview Sylvia Castro, the director of the Suazo Center. Nice to be here, Guy and James. Yeah. Love it. Well, Sylvia is the director of the Suazo Business Center, a nonprofit organization focused on economic mobility for the minority community. She has more than 20 years experience in working with nonprofits, government, and 
for-profit organizations. Her past experience includes working with executives and business owners from Fortune 500 companies, the state of Utah, the city of Salt Lake and Salt Lake County, and is very forward-looking nonprofits such as the Micro Enterprise Loan Fund, the Austin Project, and the Goldman Sachs 10K Small Business Program. Now, that's Wazo Center is pretty lucky to have her on the team, and we're lucky to have her and her team in Utah. Her love for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship began in 1999 when she worked as assistant director at the Women's Business Center of Utah. Well, that's a lot, Sylvia. Thank you so much for one, joining our show and, and helping us up here in Weber and Davis County with our Wildcat microphone. Uh, we're just like, so excited to be part of the Weber community and also being able to support the Wildcat Fund because it's just such a great resource. And frankly, um, it seems really overdue. So we're excited for, for this to finally happen. And we're trying to hit the ground running. And we've been busy with that. So the first question we ask everyone is, where do you get your favorite taco? Oh, crap. You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, we'll change it. Where do you get your favorite spaghetti and meatballs? <laughs> you have so many, so many clients. No, you have I was like, are you kidding Remember, we're not supposed to have favorites. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing too, it's I always said part of my job is research. So I get to really research a lot of source of different foods. Um, so I can tell you the, the funny thing is it all depends on what, when it comes to tacos, it all depends on what kind of taco do you want and what do you feel like too? Like, oh, wow. um, yeah, there's like some real authentic kind of DC, like uh, what they call the... Mexico City DF type of deal. There's that right. kind. Uh, so there's locations for that, or there's also something a little bit more like the coast flavor. Okay. For you, nothing like at the best fish taco ever. Okay, James, a, a podcast episode needs to be on tacos, oh. right? I know. All right. You know what? I think it will be your best episode <laughs> ever. We will just sit here and just tell tacos. It will be I... like a journey of tacos. I'm totally in for that. I love the idea of doing a whole podcast just on tacos. I think that would be our best. I agree with you, Sylvia. Right. We, we may have to do it on location, of course, right? I agree, 100%. <laughs> well, that's the best non-answer we've had on that question. I, <laughs> well, hey, Sylvia, so your journey, it's, it's a really interesting and fascinating, your journey, your personal journey about how you got here. I wonder if you'd be willing to kind of talk, just, just give us a little background on yourself and, and, and your journey to get here, where you're from and all those things. Sure. Um, so it's a little bit interesting because my family moved to Utah straight from Ecuador. So I'm actually originally from Ecuador, I was born in Ecuador. Uh, but I came here back in 82 when I was 14 years old. So if any of you do, do the math, you can see how old I am. Um, but I went from Ecuador, which was for a fairly major city, which is Guayaquil, over 1 million people back in 92, to um, save Little Salt Lake back in 92 when it was, you know, no traffic, life was very quiet. Um, so what's interesting about me is even though I'm born from Ecuador, basically have grown up mostly in Utah. So most of my life I've been in Utah. I have, I call it escape attempts. I have had a few escape attempts out of Utah, but anybody that has lived in Utah anytime will know that it will always bring you back. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you are. You think you're getting away, you're not getting away. You, you'll be back, we all know it. Um, so I actually have lived also in San Francisco, in Austin and Las Vegas. I actually used to have 
uh, businesses in Vegas and in Austin too. Um, so besides kind of my journey growing up here in Utah, I have had an interesting background because I lead a nonprofit, but I actually have had my own business. So I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur. I have grown things from zero in different states, in different industries. Um, I also, I, I really kind of went, I lost my ways. So I ended up in government a couple of times. <laughs> um, but it was, it has been good because I got to understand a little bit kind of how government works. Um, so that's always a good skill set. Um, and then um, I have worked for dot coms and Fortune 100 companies too as a project manager. Um, as my background was actually, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Six Sigma Black Belt type of programming. Mm-hmm. So that was actually my job was to go throughout the company and fix things. Well, that's, uh, that's that right. frankly has come to serve me quite a bit, that project management background. Um, so one of the things I will always tell people is that SWAS is probably the only nonprofit I could do because of what we do. It's very tied to um, the entrepreneurship, um, entrepreneurship being a way of economic mobility. Yeah. And one of the things is really understanding how the systems that can make somebody successful if they're given education, if they're given resources, if they're given advising, how somebody can be self-reliant and actually move up that economic ladder. And frankly, that makes our day every day. So so what when we learned during our pre-interview was you had some challenges on getting into the university and high school and what kind of classes that you should take and some of that. And my impression is that had a strong influence uh, on you on how you empathize and how you can work with with your clients and your colleagues. Tell us about how that high school to college transitions have been such a positive impact on your life. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is because I came at such an age that is even though I was young, I still had to start from zero, like a lot of our clients in terms of you know, overnight, I was thrown into a whole new school system. The school system back in Ecuador is totally different from what you see in Utah. Um, the way you graduate, the way the classes are, was kind of a, it was a huge culture shock. And I remember going, okay, how does this work? Uh, I always also talk about how, you know, here I am in ninth grade, trying to learn Shakespeare and English at the same time. It was definitely not fun. Um, but one of the things that trying to figure out, basically getting to know the system, trying to figure out how things work because everything was different. That's a lot of the journey of our clients, trying to figure out how things work here because it's different. Education systems are different. Tax systems are different. Accounting system, compliance, the way to even set up a business is so different here that I understand that there's that transition. And I wish somebody will have helped me instead of having to try to figure it out on my own. Um, because it, I kind of, you know, I had a couple bumps on the way. Thankfully, I, I was young enough that you can kind of recover. But um, it was rough because I also know what it's like to have to prove yourself twice as well mm-hmm. when you come in new. Um, and I had to prove myself in terms of the classes I took. Even though I felt I was ready, people felt that I needed to, um, that maybe I could not handle it. And that's one of the things that also I saw the low expectations when it comes to the minority community that I um, I really pushed back against 
that instead of trying to say, well, maybe this is good enough for them, and it's like, you know what, there's actually more potential if you ask for more, if you also open up the doors for more. And because it's a constant struggle um, where I had to prove myself to take honors classes, I had to prove myself to take AP classes. It wasn't something that was just offered to me. I had to prove myself, even though some of my co my fellow peers did not have to. Yeah, I think you were saying that in order that they were counseling you against taking AP classes because they were <clears throat> your comment about low expectations. But thankfully, you persevered through that. Yeah, you know, there's nothing like somebody telling me no to make me want it more. <laughs> we've, we've learned that already, Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sylvia, because your background seems to have really influenced your philosophy about how to support entrepreneurs. And, and, and there seems to be kind of a general running theme as when entrepreneurs walk through this, the, the doors of the Swazo Center, when you sit down with, with an entrepreneur, you seem to have kind of general philosophy of how you're going to support that entrepreneur. Could you talk a little bit about that? So um, our philosophy basically is that we want things to be as applicable and we want them to be able to uh, understand what it's like. Basically, we try to meet them where they are. Right. People have different needs. And that's one of the things that I don't want a cookie cutter approach to what we do. What we do is this is where the advising comes in. It's we meet them where they are, where are they, where they need. We don't assume. We get to know them. We get to figure out, okay, what's your background? Um, tell us, like, what is your situation? How's your credit? What's your idea? That are, you know, Or it could be somebody that already opened up a business. So maybe they need help expanding it. So everybody needs a different resource. Yeah. What we want to do, and this is our philosophy, is we don't do things for them. We do things with them. So we want to empower them to learn the ropes. So we're there as a partner because our whole goal is for them to be self-reliant. We want them to walk away better than they came in, however yeah. that looks like to them. We don't impose on them what that looks like to them. It's we just basically tell them what the possibilities are and we walk through them. Yeah, I, I really like that because you, you're acting as a partner. You're not trying to, you know, talk down to them or even talk up or however you want to do it. It's it's really you're a partner and you're here to to support them on their journey. And I, I really like that philosophy of meeting where they're at. I think is really important. And, and I guess along those lines, give a little history about the Swazo Center in general. Like how did it start? Where did it start? And what counties you cover and those kind of things. Right. No, but back to the journey. Well, that's what really the best part is. We love that journey because yeah. frankly, that journey evolves. And we are part of that when, you know, it's they either start with one business and up building it or they start with another business and up building it. We're just alone. It's just like, we're just alone for the ride. We just, but we get to enjoy it, right? Um, so the Swasa Business Center began actually in December, 2002. And it was founded by a Colombian immigrant who looks a lot like her clients. So what happened was that she was a bank executive in Colombia back in the, in the 90s, which was not the safest profession to have in Colombia. So to save her family, so she actually worked for a US Chase affiliate back in Colombia. So she figured to save her family, she would come here and maybe she'll do something in banking since she had all that experience, mind you, for a United States affiliate. She came to Utah and like a lot of, unfortunately, this is the story that happens quite a bit. The only job she could find was cleaning a bank. So she went from bank executive to cleaning banks. 
And even though she was grateful that she was safe, she figured this is not my American dream. So she figured out entrepreneurship was her way up. So she started up a Spanish newspaper. But like I mentioned, accounting systems are different. The way you get credit is different. So she was told about this guy. He's like, have you go talk to Pete Swasso? He's a helper. So Pete actually was the first Latino center for the state of Utah. And he was a hugely helpful when he came to people writing a business plan, helping them get financing, things like that. So Pete was her guide that taught her how to do this. She thrived. She did well. She was able to understand the system she needed to do. And she um, became very successful. And out of that came the idea that there should be a center that helps me just like Pete helped me. Yeah. So when he died in 2001, that's when the center was created with the permission of the Swasso family to continue that legacy of helping the community in that way. Yeah. So, so Sylvia, along those lines, how important is it for to have a place? And I think this is maybe one of the real, well, one of the strengths that the Swasso Center has is having a place where people understand you or either look like you or they speak the same language or understand where you're coming from. How important is that to to the community you're trying to serve? I think it's hugely important because frankly, we kind of start, we we all get it. So my staff right. is actually made out of different countries. So I have actually eight different countries in my staff. And we're all immigrants. Most of us are immigrants. We all have gone through that journey of transition. We understand what it takes to make that transition. And there's certain things also when it comes to culture that we already know that they need to go yeah. through. Um, we also know what they don't know in some regards because we have been there. And also it feels like a safe place. They walk in, people look like them, people speak their language. We actually um, provide our services in three languages, English, Spanish, and Portuguese. So they get to meet people that not only look like them, they're going, they went through the exact same journey as them. That's amazing. And that's so helpful. So what kind of experience would a, a client, when they walk in your office or they get in touch with you, how does that work? I'm I'm a new client, prospective client. Hey, Sylvia, can you help me um, with my thing? What, what what's next? Right. So um, so first of all, the one thing we always tell them is this is your center, where your center for life. So even though you may come in, you always can count on us, whatever that journey looks like when it comes to the mobility. So funny enough, I actually just had a call with somebody that just walked in. So this is very fresh in my mind. So basically, uh, the first thing we do is ask him questions. Where are you? So somebody wants to start off a food. This guy was actually a food truck. So I was like, okay. So tell me a little bit about the food truck. Where are you in the process? Well, um, in this case, he told me, I want help with the paperwork. And I said, we're happy to help you with the paperwork. So um, a lot of the times, the first thing we do is we just ask questions. Um, tell us a little bit about where are you? What have you done so far? What you know? We want to know what he knows so what that person knows so far. And then we usually schedule an advising appointment. And in that advising appointment, we get a lot more in detail. Um, we also may have people that just want to take our classes. We actually do offer classes and we also offer workshops. We actually have a workshop tonight on how to prepare for ho holiday sales. Wow. Right? So we're in October. We need, you need to get ready for the holidays. We need yeah. to do that yeah. now. And you need to gear up your marketing, your digital marketing for it. So we have a class on that right now. So the other thing besides the advising and the mentoring, we are also have workshops on 
topics that will be helpful and timely for them. Um, we also do have education. We're actually going through our basics of, of accounting class and our QuickBooks class um, that we're able to do with them. So not only are they having that mentoring along the way, they're also learning all sorts of different business topics at the same time. Uh, yeah. And the last thing is we also help with capital. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, before I jump into capital, because I think that's actually really interesting. But one of the things that I thought found fascinating was one of the first questions you asked an entrepreneur is, what is a business supposed to do for you? And I think that's a really interesting question. And it's, it's good for any entrepreneur. It doesn't matter where you come from. That's a great question to, to answer. So maybe talk, could you ask why you asked that question? Um, so I think the, the most important thing is we're here to build businesses. But, and the, the first question is, what is this business supposed to do for you? So one of the biggest paradigms that we're trying to get them away is for them to own a business and not to own a job. Right. And there's a difference between owning a job and owning a business. And a lot of people get it mixed up. Yep. So um, people say, you know, I'm a good baker or I know how to do tile. But uh, owning a business goes beyond that. And this is basically you are creating. And this is where this creating a business, it is wealth building. So part of it is, what is this business supposed to do for you? Is this supposed to provide maybe just income for your family? What does that look like? Or is this something that you want your kids to do with you eventually? Or is this something that you're going to sell maybe five years down the road? However this business is supposed to do for you is how you need to structure it. That's why it's really important for us to understand what is the goal. But I think also most people just say, hey, you know, I have a good idea. Let me just kind of throw myself out there. And, you know, there's good to that. If you can figure it out that sometimes you might fail and that's fine. Uh, you might fail. The question is, do you learn from that? Apply to the next business. But part of it is really kind of having this, um, it's kind of starting with the end in mind. What is this supposed to do for you? Yeah, That's a powerful, powerful. And that's for all businesses like, uh, like, like James said, all cultures, right, all the small businesses. Yeah. So we're, as we talked to earlier in the show, we're super excited that not only is your is Swazo Center coming to, to, to Northern Utah, but you and your team are here. Tell us how that happened and you're, how you're working with the micro fund. Um, well, uh, it was also begun with great conversations between Weaver State and also with the Ogden City and also U.S. Bank. Um, so one of the questions was not whether or not we were coming to Ogden was when. We, you cannot deny the demographics in Ogden and also really just Northern Utah. But there really wasn't, we've been serving that community, even though we're located in Salt Lake County, we've been serving that community with the caveat that they've been driving to us. So we actually have had a few successful business owners from Ogden already before our physical presence there. The only issue has been that they've been driving to us. So we already knew the need because we had seen some of the um, companies. So with us having a physical presence, also we can do so much more. We can partner up with, we're very excited about partnering up with the Wellcut microphone, being able to let more people know about that possibility, those resources. And being able to navigate those and to be part of the, what I call, there's this amazing business ecosystem in Utah, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship. And frankly, what Swaso does is get people in the path 
on all of these resources. First, by getting them ready, but then to know that they're available and getting them to apply and getting them to enjoy. So uh, with the Wildcat Microfund, we're providing the outreach and also the mentoring for people that would like to apply for it. That's, we're so excited for your help there. Um, that's like you said, there's a large population of Hispanics in population in Ogden and helping them will just do wonders for our community um, going forward. What other support? So there's the Wildcat Microfund that you help uh, uh, new entrepreneurs, help them apply. You provide the mentoring. That's an important element of the Microfund. And, you know, help, help them manage through the grant process when they when they get one. What other services are you providing other entrepreneurs? Maybe they're not involved in the Microfund. Um, so I mentioned the training. They also they, There's also the capital. So we work a lot with people that are looking for capital. Actually, right now, what we're really busy with is helping business owners process their PPP loan forgiveness. Yeah. That's really keeping us busy right now. The other thing, too, is the EIDL um, to the SBA. So there is the... Um, emergency loan fund, I think is that you can apply through the SBA that is an additional cheap capital available. Yep. You get a 30 year amortization, two years of no payment, very cheap interest rate. And we're like, yeah, this is one of a kind of opportunity. Let's get more people to apply. So and that's um, why we need your organization is to help not only them apply, but have them be aware of it in order to apply. That's what I'm learning a lot is this, this awareness is a challenge we're having. In right. Utah. Well, it's the awareness and also there's hesitation to take on loans. Uh, but frankly, the way this one's structure is like free money. <laughs> yeah. Like that's one of the things that we've been explaining to folks, especially with PPP and all the grants, like the Ogden City had their own grant fund during COVID. What people did not understand is this was one of a one of a lifetime. This has not happened before. This yeah. kind of funding, this kind of this kind of funding has never happened at this level ever. This is the first time I've seen it in over 20 years. And let's hope as entrepreneur supporters like the three of us on, on this podcast, all right. Let's hope us and our community does well with this, right? So that it doesn't end. And then people go, well, that was a mistake. That didn't right. work, right? Right. Well, so, yeah. Right. I think one of the things that people are starting to realize when it comes to economic development is that it's not just attracting large companies, but also the small business entrepreneurship space is part of the economic development, is ensuring that there's funding towards moving the local economy. Yeah. And entrepreneurship is a big part of it. So back to the support of entrepreneurs. Um, so we also help with capital. So I mentioned the PPP because and the IDL because that's what's going on. But if somebody, let's say somebody's starting brand new, so they don't have any track record, they just want to start brand new and they need funding, uh, we actually will help them. There's the Ogden City Loan Fund that will be available to them. Um, there's also some CDFI, Community Development Financial Institutions, that we work with also. Um, one CDA5 is called Mo5. You actually have two years of interest-only payments, but, and they work with low credit. Um, so sometimes there's an issue of when you're starting up, also there's small credit. It's not that you have bad credit, it's that you have barely any credit. So um, they will actually work with you to build up that credit for two years and give you that kind of room um, to, uh, 
to basically make money the first two years. We also do a lot of loan packaging also for 8A, sorry, for SBA um, loans too. So frankly, a lot of the times we look at what people need, the amount, the industry, their profile, and be like, these are your options. I mean, Sylvia, I mean, it's kind of guy's point earlier is like, you just need that place to help help people understand how to get to all those different resources. So how do people find you? How's the best way for them to connect with you? Um, well, the beautiful thing is now that we're in Ogden, we're actually, um, you can come in. We're, we're there Monday through Thursday at the Ogden Can Building. And I want to look, I want to say, oh, I know we're in Lincoln Avenue. I want to say 2136, but it's I'm about 20th. To... It's about 20th in Lincoln. At, and then you look, once you get in the main entrance, it's the Business Information Center. Ogden calls it the BIC. The but BIC. That's where your team is there. Or I put the squazocenter.org. They can go on the website and, and go there. Yeah. Or they can, so we actually, our number is 521-801-521-1709. You can call us or text us at that number. Can you repeat that number again? 801-521-1709. You can call us in English or Spanish. Text us in in English and Spanish. And the other thing we do get a lot is actually Facebook Messenger. On your Facebook page? On our Facebook page. uh, We also get to answer a lot of questions or set up people to that way through Facebook. So we are pretty available. Uh, the other uh, option is to email us at frontdesk at or just come in and walk in and say hi. Yeah, that's the best, I bet. Front, yeah. front desk at swazocenter.org. Yes. Or the phone number is 801-521-1709. Or so swazocenter.org, check out their website. Sylvia, um, we're so, James and I, we've been talking about this for months. We're so excited that you're here in Utah, and then you also are on our podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thank you. And James, thank you. Thanks for having me too, Guy. And Sylvia, this was fantastic. And also thank you to Mikkel Weil and Angie Osgoth, who were on our show earlier about email tips and always Quinn Ulrich, Autumn Soto, Shelby Moyes, and the Studio 76 of Weber State University for producing our show today. Thank you so much for listening to the latest presentation of Forging the Norsatch. Please look for all future installments bi-weekly on Tuesdays on your preferred podcast provider.